And I'm not sure what memories you have of Christmas, and particularly the good ones. We'll try and put the bad ones aside, but the good ones. Uh, one of my good memories of Christmas is catching up with cousins. Um, but the thing was, it seems that my cousins were always late turning up to the Christmas celebration. So, of course, that meant that I would nag my parents, when are they going to be here? When are they going to be here? And, of course, my parents' response would be always those reassuring words. They'll be here soon. So that was enough to let me go back to what I was doing because they're reassuring, aren't they? They'll be here soon. It's the promise of something to come that you're looking forward to, the cousins. Of course, I'd go back and say, when are they going to be here? And again, they give the words, they'll be here soon. And those words, they'll be here soon, they are reassuring words because uh, the promise of certain people coming at a certain time often is reassuring. But the promise and the reassuring words are one thing. The reality is always better, isn't it? So yes, as much as it was reassuring to hear my parents say, they'll be here soon, when my, parent, when my cousins turned up, well, it was even better because it just didn't mean we got stuck into the food. It didn't mean we even got stuck into the presence, although that was always good. It meant that we could just cause havoc together for a whole afternoon. I mean, let's face it, the presence... Uh, often the remote control car had stopped working because the batteries had run out. That's if we had batteries in the first place. We'd broken the cousin's kite because that's what you do when you play with cousin's toys. But in the end, we didn't care because we had each other with us. We, we were with each other. There's nothing like being with people in the flesh. And so what we have at Christmas time is simply that. The promise of God that he gave that he'll be here soon, which is good. But even better than that, what we have at Christmas that we celebrate is the reality that he came and that he came in Jesus. So Christmas is simply about the promised presence of God coming in Jesus. Plain and simple. And that's a big claim though, isn't it? Uh, and if, if that's the claim of Christmas, if it's true that God's with us in Jesus, we've got every reason to celebrate. But on the other hand, if that cl- claim that Jesus is God with us isn't true, there's absolutely nothing special about not only Christmas but Christianity. So it's an important claim to look into, which we're going to do in a moment. But before we do that, I just want to ask something of you. And to help me explain what I'm going to ask, I'm going to talk about photos. So now, you know, when we take photos these days, so you grab your phone, you open the camera up, and maybe I should take a little selfie now of everyone with me, I won't do that. But what you would do is then you you flick through and you can put a filter on the photo, can't you? Especially if it's kind of not so good, maybe of yourself or others or the place isn't quite what you want it, so you can flick through and find a filter that makes the picture better than it would have otherwise looked. But if you take a photo and you want to guarantee to people that you put no filter on it, what do you write when you post it on some sort of social media, Instagram? You write hashtag no filter because you want to convince people this is the real deal. It's not fake people or fake places. 
And so what I want us to do today, because I think it's easy when we come to the Christmas story, to have flicked through over the years and put a filter on the Christmas story. That it's either fantasy, fable, fiction. You might have done that, and for maybe for good reason. But what I want to ask of you today as we come to the Christmas story is to have a hashtag no filter approach to the story this, this Christmas. So let's jump into the story. So we've had it read to us. And this part of the Christmas story from Matthew focuses in on the character of Joseph. Of course, he's a familiar character in the story. But there's really three things that you need to know about Joseph from this part of the story. First thing, quite a good fact, we find this man Joseph engaged. Good news, exciting times. Second fact, we find out that his fiance is pregnant. Well, you know, that could be okay, teenage pregnancy, not always that exciting, but it could be okay this time. Third fact, though, uh, gets to the kind of scandalous, devastating reality. Definitely hashtag no filter on this story. And that is, Joseph's not the father. That's how we need to hear the story, because this is not a story of often as we sing in the carols, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, away in a manger, silent night, kind of all glossed over. And maybe it's not so scandalous, those facts for us today, but certainly back then it would have been. You know, a teenage pregnancy, which would have meant for Mary really a life of shame, exclusion, if not stoning for committing adultery. This is not a good scene. It's scandalous. There's no filter over the story of Christmas here. And I mean, how is Mary going to be telling Joseph what's happened? Yes, I'm pregnant. I know you're not the father, but it's okay. It's a divine conception. I mean, that's going to really make him feel better, isn't it? How's he going to tell people that? That he's gone a bit, something's wrong? But as he's thinking about what on earth has happened here, as he's thinking about that, as God does, he steps in because it's his story bringing about his plan and via an angel gives a message to explain what's going on with this scandalous story. And what we discover firstly is what's going in on is that here we're reminded that God has made a promise. God's made a promise that he will be here soon. And you see that as Matthew quotes from Isaiah, if you turn to page two of these books, Matthew's account, where it says, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they'll call him Emmanuel. That's a promise of God from hundreds and hundreds of years ago. It was made through a prophet Isaiah who really had two parts to his message. God's people, who he spoke to, you've messed things up. You have for decades and decades and decades, and you can do nothing about it. So what is God going to do? He's going to come himself. That's the promise. I'll be here soon. And a sign of that promise would be that the person who would come would come via a virgin. So that's the promise of God we've got here going on. There's nothing like a promise of someone to come, is there? There's nothing like a promise of a gift. 
Let's do a thought experiment for a moment. You enter the room where you nearly usually give out the gifts at Christmas time. Can you picture yourself there? Your family and friends aren't there this time. Sanders not even there, actually. God's there somehow. And he said, I can give you a gift, whatever you want. What's going to be on the top of your list? It could be one of the ideals, uh, ideal man, the ideal woman, the ideal house, the ideal job, the ideal holiday. Or actually, it could be, no, I want that loved one back. Or I want that relationship back that's broken down and now estranged. What gift would you ask for of God himself? See, God promises a gift and the promise is to give himself. So he's made that promise to his people, I'll be here soon. Reassuring words to his people. But as much as the promise is good, the reality is always better. And so what we have in the Christmas story is God's promise kept. God's promise kept because Jesus comes and what we hear in Matthew's account is that he is God with us. That's what it said. The first name given to Jesus, Matthew records, is Emmanuel, which means simply God with us. And so what we have is God coming in human form. John records the details of Jesus coming and talks about it in terms of the Word, which is a way of referring to God by John. The Word became flesh. And that word flesh is actually the word we get carnivore from, carnal. It's a very vivid way of talking about what happens with God coming in Jesus. He's coming and he's not just taking on a skin suit, he's taking on everything of what it means to be human physically and the implications of that, weak and vulnerable and so on. The word became flesh. That's why we sing in the carol, Jesus to thee be glory given, word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. It's God with us in human form. It's the infinite God becoming an infant. The infinite God becoming an infant. There's lots of babies being born in this church over the last little while, which is always a sign of life of a church. Not a sign of a dead and dying church, but a live, living, growing church. But think about it. The God of the universe has the power to hold everything together, and he does comes in the form of a baby, and you know what happens with babies, they can't even keep their head up. Sort of flopping around. I was going to try and grab one to hold and prove it, but you know that, don't you? They just going to flop around. It's what God became. Uh, The God who could just speak, his words are so powerful, that things were created from nothing, becomes an infant so he can't speak words He can only cry to try and somehow communicate. The infinite God becomes an infant. That God might keep his promise, 
come up close and personal and be with us in the flesh. Now, in our cyber world of, of friends, you know, I, I know I've got intimate relationships with all the personal friends on Facebook, you know, in, in that world of up close and personal friendships, there's still nothing like being with people in the flesh, is there? So a friend of, of mine this year, Kara, she moved here from the States and had a boyfriend back in the States. Uh, so a couple of months ago, she flew to the States to see him as a surprise for a matter of a few days and spent more time in the plane or in transit than she did with him. Why would you do that? It makes no sense rationally, doesn't it? It only makes sense if you understand what it means to be human, that there's nothing like being in the flesh. A bit of show and tell. So for years I've, I've watched my sporting hero from a distance ride his bike, that is Cadell Evans. Well, from a, a big distance, more like on a screen. But a couple of months ago, I actually got to meet him in the flesh. He was doing a tour of Australia with the book that he had released about his cycling career. And he was at North Sydney Library, so I wasn't going to miss the opportunity. I went up, I lined up, I bought the book, didn't care how much it cost. And then I got to meet him, shake his hand, and he actually signed the book. There's proof right there. I was going to show you the photo, but you can look at that later on. There's nothing like meeting your sporting hero in the flesh. Not only a good, good bike rider, but a very nice bloke as well. And that's what God's doing with us. He, he came in the flesh so he would know what it is to be human. Stand in our shoes, if you like. That was his gift to us. But it wasn't enough that he would just come to be with us, was it? He also came because that's the other name in the story that we're given of Jesus. Did you, did you pick that up? You'll name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The very reason he came, that we might be reassured and comforted, he had to go further than that to deal with the very reason we needed that reassurance and comfort and that we needed salvation. He came to deal with and do away with our greatest problem. He's a saviour. Now, parents pour over names for their children, don't they? You might think, well, your parents didn't because they only gave you two letters, LT. There's more to it than that, but you can ask me about that later. But parents do pour over names, even give children names that they might live up to something. So you might name your child Grace, that she might be gracious. I heard of one parent who has triplets, named their children Faith, Hope and well, they couldn't name the third one love because it was a boy, so it's Faith, Hope and Kevin. And I'm not sure what Kevin means. It could be something you might aspire to. But Jesus has the name Jesus because not only were his parents hoping that he might live up to something, no, because he was the very essence of his name, which means God saves. And what will he come to save people from? Sin. Now you might think, well, well, let me put it this way. A couple of weeks ago I was at my brother-in-law's house and we were cooking a barbecue together. We didn't fight over the tongs. There was two pairs. It was okay. I was on one side. He was on the other side. And he had a spray can of oil. 
And he kept telling me to spray it on the barbecue and whatever was on there to cook it. I thought, okay. At some point, we swapped sides. I'm not sure why. Most, all the meat was taken off, thankfully, because I grabbed another can on the other side and proceeded to spray it, as he instructed me to, on the barbecue and some of the food. And then some of the food were about to go onto, only to realise it wasn't the same spray can. It was the spray can of Aragard. Now, that's not exactly what you want on a barbecue. It's not what you need on a barbecue. And you might be thinking, yeah, Jesus came to save from sin. I need saving from sin as much as I need Aragard on a barbecue. And you actually might think it's a bit judgmental to call you a sinner. But that's the claim of the Bible. We're all in it together. We're all sinners. And what does that actually mean? What does it mean to be a sinner? You might hear me think calling you sort of an axe murderer um, or something horrendous like that, a thief, adulterer, a lawyer could be equivalent to one of those things. Sorry, lawyers. But they're the kind of... You might be thinking, well, yeah, it's, it's the problems of, your, of the world out there. It's at an international level. That, that's, that's the problem of sin. Or a national level, maybe I'd admit that. Or a community level... And when it seems that that level right and wrong seems very clear, doesn't it? But actually the Bible says, no, it's, it's more than that. It's at a personal level. And when it comes to getting personal, often that right and wrong gets a little bit more fluid, doesn't it? What might be wrong for others may not so, be so much wrong for me. But the thing about sin in God's terms is it's about perfection. What's the standard of perfection? Well, God expects us to respond to him as the source of life and creator of all things in a wholehearted response to him. Jesus sums it up as love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind. And I'm sure none of us would claim that we've done that. To wake up in the morning to give thanks to God for another day of life every day and to live consistently the rest of the day in thanks to him. We fall way short of that. We are so cut off from God, we're alienated from him. That is the problem for us and the whole world and led to a consequence of us being eternally cut off from God forever. So Jesus comes, lives the life we should have lived but we couldn't, dies the, dies the death we deserve. We celebrated Easter so we could be saved from the sin in our life the root cause of those symptoms and its consequences. Jesus came to save us from our sin. Big claims, aren't they? Jesus, God with us. Jesus come to save us from our sin. Big claims. You can accept that claim. You could reject that claim. You could consider that claim but you certainly can't ignore that claim. But it's a gift, isn't it? What, what we're saying is Christmas is about a gift from God to you, himself, and salvation from your sin so you could be with him forever. What I've discovered in my family, we, we celebrate with my wife's side of the family, which we did last night, and with my side of the family, we have two ways when it comes to approaching the, the gift-giving sort of, session so 
we had it last night with Blinda's family, and they're very systematic and careful and considered. Each person, each present is given out one at a time to one person. We all watch as the present's going to carefully opened. I think they want to preserve the sticky tape and the paper. It's very slow and considered, but it's good because we celebrate the moment. Okay, my family. <laughs> Absolute chaos. It seems like everyone has to get every present all at the one time, and it's not considered. It's just like ripping open. What is, oh yeah, awesome. Don't care what you've got. I've got my present. That's two different approaches to gifts. But either way, one thing's for sure. Neither family leaves gifts under the present, under the tree, if their name's on it. You can't imagine going back a year later, well, the tree would be packed up anyway, and a gift still being there. Who does that? When there's a gift for you with your name on it, you get it, you unwrap it. You might have even shaken it before to check out what it is. You might have snuck down the stairs in the, the dark of night to try and feel what it is. Gifts are there to be taken, received and enjoyed. So this Christmas, again, God is offering you a gift. If you haven't received it, you can't ignore it. I invite you to at least consider it. As you came in, uh, in the booklet, there's a, there's a card there that talks about a course uh, you could do. I mean, there's big claims that we've been making about Jesus and who he is. Very briefly, you might want to take a long, slow look at who Jesus is by signing up for this course, which you could do by getting that welcome card and, and ticking the box. Attend a Christianity Explained course, putting enough details down that we can let you know more details when they come around. You might want to take an immediate step now. You might have a sense that, wow, that's made sense for the first time in my life. You might want to turn to God now and pray, yes, God, it's been a long time. But thank you for the gift. I accept that gift, that Jesus is God with us and salvation from my sin in his death. You could do that right now. Or you could join us next week as we celebrate Christmas big time together. Either way, consider the claim of Jesus at Christmas that he is God with us who came to give us the gift of salvation from our sin. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you so much for the gift of Jesus at Christmas time. Thanks for the joy that it brings that we can sing as we've accepted him, that he is joy to the world. The Lord has come. We're receiving our King. Maybe for some of us, Father, we need to consider it further, so please prompt us, lead us to take that next step to consider Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen.